Well, again, good morning. It's great to see you. Thank you for joining us in person and online. My name is George Davis. Glad to welcome you to the Hershey Free Church. Some of you are new or newer to our church, and we're in this series we call Love This Book, where we're going through sections of the Bible. And as we're moving toward Easter now, we are actually moving toward the life, or moving through the life of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible and a physical copy, mobile device, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. We'll get there in a moment. As you're turning there, hey, I just want to kind of give you this church family update. It's something we've been communicating this week, but I I wanted to make sure you were aware of this. It's actually a staff update involving Nick Mance, who leads our student ministries, our core ministries. And the update is this. Really, over the last few months, Nick's become aware of uh, having to deal with just a deepening level of of anxiety and depression. And over the last few weeks, as we've been processing this and trying to figure out positive steps forward, it just really became apparent that the the healthiest step to take at this point was to kind of create space where Nick could back off his day-to-day work responsibilities. So uh, we're going to create that space. He's going to uh, start a leave of absence, probably two to three months. That's just going to give him some space to to really work through some things, to heal spiritually and uh, emotionally and mentally. And so we wanted to uh, create that space for him. So I just wanted to be you to be aware of it so you could be praying for Nick and Elise. And in saying that, I also just wanted to just say a couple of other things. First of all, to Nick, I want to say thanks just for being open and acknowledging some of what he's been going through so that we could take some healthy steps together. Uh, secondly, I want to say thanks to our core leadership both in terms of our staff as well as our lay leaders, and that includes some of you in this room. Just thanks for your help and kind of stepping up during this season as we continue to invest in the lives of our students, even as they're even meeting right now. And then the third thing I wanted to do was just make this observation, and this is really for all of us, and and the observation is this. You know, as we're we're coming out, as we're slowly coming out of the chaos of, of some of the, of all that we've experienced over the last two years, what I'm observing is that people are experiencing this differently. So there really are some of us uh, that are we're coming out, and we're just excited kind of about moving forward. It's great. You know, the weather seems to be improving, and, and we're enjoying uh, getting back to what we think is normal, even though maybe it's the new normal, and we're just glad that things are changing, and we're excited and enthusiastic moving forward. But others of us, I've discovered there's some people that really is kind of things are changing again. And maybe we, you know, we developed one set of habits and routines over the last couple of years. Now those are changing. For some of us, this, this, this is actually a hard adjustment. Likewise, I think for some, what I'm discovering is as kind of we come out of this, you, you just become more deeply aware maybe of how tired you are, some of the frustration, the grief that we've experienced, and maybe you even become more acutely aware of, of some of the stuff you're dealing with internally that maybe needs to be addressed. And, and, and so I think for us as a church family, as a church community, first of all, we, we kind of need to pay attention to how we're kind of coming out of this. But I think also we need to be people of grace in the lives of one another, just recognizing people may be at different places, so we need to be aware of that. And in saying that, I I think you you also need to hear me say this. If, if, you know, kind of at this point, you you kind of have discovered, you know, there's some 
stuff going on internally that I need to address. If I can help, if we as your church family can help, if our staff can help, if we can help you get help, we would love to be able to do that. We'd love for you to initiate that conversation. So I would just encourage you along those lines. And again, as, as Nick uh, steps back for a few weeks, uh, let's just be in prayer for Nick and Elise during this season. Now, as I said a moment ago, we're continuing our journey through the life of Jesus. And as we come to Matthew chapter 17, I want to ask you this question. When was the last time someone disappointed you? When was the last time someone disappointed you? Maybe it's someone you're in school with and you thought they were your friend, but, you know, things they've said, things they've posted, it's become really clear they weren't the kind of friend you were hoping they would be. Maybe when, when you think about someone disappointing you, you think about someone who's in your family and there's been some interaction, some action where they have hurt you deeply and painfully. Maybe you think about a colleague, a coworker, someone that you're, you spend a lot of time with and, and the disappointment is just they, they make these promises, these commitments, but they don't follow through and they turn out just to be empty words. So just think about that for a moment. And, and the reality is, in, in, in a crowd like this, we, we've had different experiences, and we can recount different moments, very different situations where people have disappointed us. Yet, perhaps underlying all of those experiences of disappointment is a common thread. And the common thread to our disappointment is this, unmet expectations. You see, you and I, we're disappointed in relationships when that relationship doesn't unfold as we had expected. And so unmet expectations run right below the surface of our disappointment with other people. Now you may say, okay, uh, okay, George, I get it, but what on earth does that have to do with the life of Jesus? Well, this morning as we're continuing our journey uh, through the life of Jesus, we're now in that season in Jesus' life where he is slowly moving towards Jerusalem for the final time, where he is slowly taking his disciples towards Jerusalem for his pending execution. Even as we are moving toward Easter, Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. And as Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem, he is becoming more transparent, more open with his disciples as they journey with him about what is about to happen. And what you need to understand is this, this was hard for them to hear. In many ways, um, this for the disciples was a journey of confusion, of uncertainty, of disappointment. I mean, put yourself in their situation. Right up to this moment, you've, you've had months of, of interacting with Jesus and seeing him interact with other people. You have seen him heal the sick. You have seen him cast out demons. You have seen him exercise control over nature. You have seen him outwit any opponent who comes and tries to trap him in conversation. Jesus always comes out on top. And now, all of a sudden, he's he's talking openly about suffering. He's talking openly about his death. And, and this, this just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. 
Maybe at some point your first thought would be, what's, what's gone wrong? What's wrong with him? Right, right? Maybe he's overtired, you know, he's from all the travel and public activity. Maybe he's exhausted and, and just discouraged after dealing with those who oppose him. But what's, what's all this talk about death and suffering? It doesn't make sense. How could anyone with this level of power be, de- be defeated? He's the Messiah. He's, he's the coming one. And from your perspective, you just don't have categories for the idea that the Messiah could be killed. You have certain expectations about how this was to unfold. And now Jesus isn't meeting them. And with these unmet expectations come confusion, denial, misunderstanding, disappointment, even anger, right? Because right before what we're going to see in Matthew 17, there's this moment where Peter rebukes Jesus openly, right? No more of this death talk. No more of this suffering talk. We're not going to let it happen. Simply put, they were disappointed with Jesus. Now let me ask you this question. Have you, have you found yourself in a similar situation? Have you found yourself in moments where you were disappointed with God? We, we don't always like to admit it. We don't necessarily handle those moments well. But sometimes that's where we find ourselves. And that may be where you find yourself right now. And if you do, just understand, you're, you're not alone. If this is where you're at... Because in so many ways, as you watch the disciples journeying to Jerusalem there, they're kind of standing right there with you. So as we look at Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, don't overlook how challenging, frustrating, disappointing Jesus' words to his disciples were all along the way. Yet in the midst of this disappointment, this confusion, this misunderstanding, something unexpected happens, and that's what we read about in Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Then he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it is good for us to to be here, if you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, but I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished, in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. I have to be honest, as as I read this, I wish 
I knew how to describe this to you. I'm not sure this, this experience can truly be understood if you didn't actually see it. But the reality is this, that the disciples saw the glory of Jesus in a way they'd never seen it before. The wonder, the holiness, the majesty of his character was revealed to them in a manner they had never experienced. It's like they got a private preview of the fullness of Jesus' glory. Even as Moses had witnessed God's glory on the mountain centuries earlier. Now, interestingly, as, as this scene unfolds, there are two other individuals that appear with Jesus on the mountain. Two Old Testament characters, Moses and Elijah. And the question is this, why those two? Candidly, if, if I were picking, I would have chosen Abraham and David, right? Abraham, really the founder, the patriarch of the nation of Israel. David, the iconic king. When we think about rulers, we always think about King David. Those would have been the two I would have had on the mountain, but we don't have Abraham and David. We have Moses and Elijah. So the question is, why? Why? Some have suggested that, well, they they represent the law and the prophets, and and that could be part of the answer. But I think a more helpful approach is to understand this. To the Jews of the first century, in different ways, Moses and Elijah were linked with the coming of the Messiah based on how they read certain Old Testament texts. In fact, you'll notice again, if you read that, right, as, as, they, as the disciples come down from the mountain, they're asking about Elijah coming first. In other words, they're asking about Elijah's role, his connection in the coming of the Messiah, and they're a little bit confused because they thought, well, Elijah has to come again, and Jesus says, well, no, in fact, someone has come in the spirit of Elijah, and he's already come, and of course, that's John the Baptist. So the disciples are on this mountain, right? And the disappointment, the confusion, the misunderstanding now gives way to wonder, to awe, to fear. And they see Jesus transformed before their very eyes. Furthermore, they see these two Old Testament characters who in their mind signaled the coming of the Messiah. So all of what they're experiencing is pointing to the identity of Jesus. All of this is pointing to the reality that he is the coming one. And not surprisingly then, Peter says, let's build three shelters. Now what Peter is doing in essence is saying this. You know what? Let's stay up here for a while. This this is what I've been waiting for, right? No more of that talk about death and suffering. This is what it's about. Let me build three shelters, one for each of you, and let's just soak up this moment for all it's worth. And then something else happens. A cloud covers the mountain. And from the cloud, this voice is heard. Look again at verse 5. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen, listen to him. Now as you hear those words, first of all understand that I think God's words here are an affirmation of who Jesus is. 
In so many ways, the foundational purpose of this entire episode is to reveal the identity of Jesus to his disciples. Right? Yes, you've got all this confusion. Yes, it's not making sense about the, all the talk about death and suffering. But in the midst of your confusion, don't miss who he actually is. And all of this experience is pointing to the reality of Jesus' identity. It is an affirmation of who Jesus is. But arguably, the words of the divine voice, the words of God's voice, aren't simply an affirmation of who Jesus is. They're also words of rebuke. Words of rebuke, I think, particularly to Peter, right? Peter, Peter, you need to listen. Listen to him. As you think about this, let me ask you this question. Have you you ever had one of those chaotic situations in your life that's really confusing? Maybe even you would say some of what we've had to go through over the last couple of years, you know, having to make changes, adjust work schedules, school stuff, some of that. Just kind of navigating the fluidity of what we've gone through. That's been really chaotic. But have you, have you known particularly a chaotic situation where what you really needed was someone to speak truth to you? For instance, maybe you found yourself having to make a hard decision and, you know, we just weren't processing it well. And someone really spoke truth into that situation that helped you make a wise decision. And thinking about that, I, I remember an incident in my own life more than 15 years ago now. Um, sitting in an, in an empty hospital corridor late at night, it was about 1230 in the morning. My dad had had bypass surgery, and there had been complications, and he had to be taken back in. So I'm sim- sitting in this empty hospital corridor, just, just waiting. Sitting there, of course, all, all sorts of thoughts just swirling in my head. I didn't fully understand what was going on or the, you know, what, what had to be done, I, all kinds of questions, fears, just all of that just kind of circling around in my head, just waiting for some word, and then finally the surgeon came out. And we had a very brief conversation. It lasted no more than 90 seconds. But in that 90 seconds, he just spoke very clearly. Here's, here's what the problem was. Here's how we have successfully resolved it, and your, your father is going to make a complete recovery. Then he was gone. And What I remember about that moment was I was hanging on every word because in the chaos of that moment, his was the voice I needed to hear. Peter, in the midst of your confusion, your misunderstanding, in the midst of your uncertainty, listen. Listen to him. Now, why was listening so important? Particularly at this moment in the life of the disciples, why was listening so important? Why was it so important then? Likewise, why is it so important for us? Well, think about their situation again. And I think when you think about their situation again, uh, you begin to understand this. First of all, if, if we don't listen well, the truth becomes distorted. 
Again, remember what's been happening, right? Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem, and as Jesus moves towards Jerusalem, he is having multiple conversations, multiple conversations with his disciples about what's going to happen. In fact, as you read the Gospels, kind of put the timeline together, it's clear there were multiple conversations that Jesus has about his impending death. And, And interestingly, with multiple conversations come multiple points of misunderstanding. Time after time, on the long journey to Jerusalem, the disciples just aren't getting it. They're not, they're not listening well. Somehow what they're hearing, it, it doesn't compute with their expectations, their assumptions about how Messiah would come. And so they don't realize it, but they're, they're distorting the truth. They need to listen. And I think that's true for us. In a similar way, we need to listen. For instance, we can get caught up in, you know, accepting the gospel while not fully resting in its implications. Believing the gospel, yet still presuming that, you know what, I have to be good, I have to get things right, I always have to be, you know, come out on top to merit God's grace, to merit his favor. And We're distorting the truth. We need to listen. Furthermore, if we we don't listen well, not only can we distort the truth, if if we don't listen well, we can get distracted. Think again about Peter, right? Peter's idea at this moment is, hey, you know what? Let me just build three shelters. Let's just kind of camp out here for a while. Let's just stay in this moment. This is such an amazing moment. It's such a perfect moment. Let's just hang out here. But you can't do that, Peter. You're going to have to come down the mountain. And you're going to have to go into the valley below. And whenever you, right, in the valley below, in the valleys of everyday life experience, there will be distractions. There will be all sorts of ideas and values, beliefs competing for your time, your attention, your focus. You need to listen well. Otherwise, the truth can be distorted and you can be distracted. Okay, so that makes sense, but what does, it actually, what does it take to listen well? How do we listen well? Again, the disciples are told, listen to him. But how exactly do we do that? What does it look like? Well, again, I think looking in the context of what's going on here, what, what we realize is listening well involves truth and trust. Listening well involves truth and trust. Again, let's just go back to the context. What's, what's happening here, right? We're journeying to Jerusalem all along the way. Jesus is confronting his disciples with the truth. He is confronting them with the truth of who he is and what it actually looks like for him to fulfill his mission, which includes his death. They're being confronted with the truth, but if you look at these conversations, not only are they being confronted with the truth, they're also being invited to join Jesus on the journey. In other words, Jesus is is confronting them, them with the truth, and then he's in essence saying, and now I want you to 
trust me. I want you to put the truth into action. That's really what trust is, right? Putting the truth into action. I want you to put the truth into action and join me on the journey. Thus, for instance, along the way, not only does Jesus talk about his own death, he says, you know what? You need to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. In other words, Jesus Jesus is giving them the truth then he's inviting them to trust him by following him. Jesus is saying, look, I'm giving you the truth of who I am and what I'm doing. Hear this clearly. Don't distort it. Don't be distracted from it. And in light of that truth, I'm inviting you to trust me. In light of that truth, I'm inviting you to put the truth into action and to join me on this journey. You know, it, 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 it's interesting. Years later, decades later, right at the end of his life, the Apostle Peter is reflecting on that experience he had on the mountain. I mean, it's clear by the time you get to the end of his life that that, that has been a formative experience. And we know that from reading 2 Peter, which is the last letter that that we're aware of that he wrote, a letter written close to his own death. And in in that letter, as as, as he's coming to the close of his life, he, he, he begins early in the letter to tell people, look, God has given us everything we need to grow. God has put resources in your life so that you can grow in this journey. He's confronting them with the truth of what God is doing through Jesus Christ. You've got everything you need to grow as a follower of Jesus. And he says God's promises are true and secure. And so he begins, he, he confronts them with the reality of that truth, and then he says, then, therefore, you, you need to trust him and put the truth into action. And so we see that as we read this passage from 2 Peter. For this reason, in other words, in light of the truth, in light of the surety of God's promises, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness knowledge, and to your knowledge self-control, and to your self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. In other words, he's just kind of going through different character traits that we are to develop as we follow Jesus so that more and more we reflect the character of of, of who he is, that more and more we're opening our lives up to the work that he desires to do in us and through us. And he says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, do you see what Peter is saying? Look, I want you to know the truth of Jesus Christ, but not only do I want you to know the truth, I want you to be effective and productive in knowing that truth. I want you to put the truth into action by trusting him and engaging this journey that he sets before us as followers. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. 
says, look, don't just know the truth, but be blind to it. Be nearsighted concerning it. I want you to, I want you to listen well, and that involves being rooted in the truth, but putting that truth into action as you trust him and follow him. And then, if you read this passage further, and I encourage you to check it out, 2 Peter chapter 1, if you read the passage further, Peter says this, and, and you know how I'm confident of this? You know why I'm telling you this? He says, because we don't, we don't have made-up stories. We don't have fairy tales. We don't follow myths. All of this is true. And, he, and how do I know that? Peter says, I know it because I was on the mountain. I know it because I was on the mountain and I saw Jesus transfigured in front of me. I know it because I was on the mountain and I heard that voice. The voice that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I think in a real sense, Peter comes to the end of his life and as he looks back on that formative experience, part of, part of what he's telling us is, I've learned to listen. And, and I want you to listen too. I want you to be people deeply rooted in the truth of who Jesus Christ is and the wonder of his work on your behalf, which we're going to celebrate in a few weeks when we come to Easter. But I I don't want you to simply be aware of this truth. I want you to trust. I want you to put it into action. And if you will put it into action, your life will not be ineffective and unproductive. Otherwise, you're going to be blind and nearsighted as you roam through life. So what about you? Are you listening? Are you listening to him? And just, just to, to help you kind of make that a little more personal, just think about these kinds of questions. Am, am I engaging him in his word? I mean, even, even as we're going through this series, as we're, you know, journeying through the life of Jesus, and, am I engaging what we're learning, what I'm reading? Am I open to, to this journey of who Jesus Christ is and what it looks like to follow him that we're encountering through this series? And am I engaging him in his word? And I think related to that, am I engaging him in prayer, kind of with an openness to listening and learning. And often those go together as we spend time in his word and then engage him in prayer, bringing our request, our understanding to him along the way and allowing it to be shaped by his scriptures. For instance, even, even recently for me, I've been spending some time in Second Corinthians and I was just really struck by this statement that the apostle Paul makes when he talks about his own approach to life and says, we are working with you for your joy. And it was just this powerful reminder to me that, yeah, we've kind of gone through a lot of chaos over the last couple of years, and it's been divisive in all sorts of ways, but ultimately, as a church community, we are in this together. And I needed to hear that. So I ask you, what, you know, are you listening? Are you, are, you, are you making space in your life for God to be at work? 
If you're disappointed with God, even as we talked about earlier, you know, have you simply given up or are you seeking to listen? Am I listening? At a practical level, I would just come back to something that we talk about here periodically, and that's this, this idea of praying Scripture. And that, by that I mean as, as you pray, allowing passages of Scripture to, to kind of shape your thoughts, your words, how you're praying to God. And, and maybe for you, a, a helpful passage, even as we move towards Easter, to keep in mind as you pray would be Matthew 17, 5, which we've been talking about, right? Again, where this voice is heard on the mountain, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And maybe for you that can, that can just become a recurring prayer, particularly as we move towards Easter. As you think about this reality that this, this is God's son, and just to celebrate that in prayer, to acknowledge, you know, even as, Father, as we move toward Easter, just remind me of the wonder of this work that we are celebrating. The wonder of experiencing forgiveness for all that I've done. The wonder of being brought back into a relationship with you. The wonder of transformation. The wonder of the renewal. The wonder of a, the gift of your spirit. And just to celebrate all of that that comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But then as you celebrate that, also to say, and Lord, I want to listen. I want to be open (laughs) to the way Jesus' life should be shaping my life and what that looks like. I don't want a distorted view of the truth, and I don't want to be distracted by all the chaos that is around me, whatever that chaos may look like for you. I want to listen. I think that's the invitation of this passage. (laughs) I think in many ways that's the invitation of Peter as he comes to the end of his life and he reflects on that experience on the mountain. Listen to him. Listen to him. Are you listening? Let's pray together. Gracious God, as as we think about the disciples' journey to Jerusalem, I pray we just just understand those those were some hard conversations. And, And with those conversations came some, a lot of misunderstanding, confusion, even disappointment. Because from the disciples' perspective, their expectations weren't being met. And then there's this amazing experience, this surprising experience to be confronted with the reality of Jesus' glory. And to hear in the midst of that experience these words, listen, listen to him. Father, even as that was a message for the disciples, I pray this morning it would be a message to us as well the invitation to listen well, to be people rooted in the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us, to be rooted in the gospel, but people who are not simply aware of that and affirming that, but people who are rooted in such a way that we, we put that truth into action, we lean into it, we trust you. Father, may we see that listening well involves truth 
and trust. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I want to thank you for joining us. And at this point, I'm going to invite members of our prayer team to be here at the front. And, you know, even as we think about listening well, let's, let, let us have the opportunity to pray with you as there's an area in your life we can pray with you about. And so we're going to be available here at the front. We'd love to pray with you. So I encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. And now as you go, now as we move towards Easter, I pray you will be challenged by the words of God's voice that we are to listen to him. Amen.